You want your five-star matches? You want your 30-minute classics? Not me. Big meaty men slapping me. This is another episode of the Slapping Meat Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Randall Beatley, and we're going to jump right on in. Um, This episode mainly is discussing uh, my, my top five finishers. You know, when I started this podcast... The podcast really wasn't really supposed to be like, we're going to talk all this news and we're going to talk about AEW and we're going to review, right? My idea was I'll do pay-per-view reviews, pay-per-view predictions, and in between the pay-per-views to, you know, discuss things like what are my favorite finishers, what are my favorite moments, things like that. And I sort of got in a way from... That idea, and so I'm going to bring that in in here. So we're going to do top five finishers, current finishers of current wrestlers, and and then f- top five of all time. Um, and and we'll and I'll break down when we get to that segment. Um, what I look for in a, in a in a good finisher, finishers that aren't good, that maybe shouldn't have been protected as much as they as they were. Um, and what, what, basically what I look for in a good finisher, then I'll give you my list. But that's towards the end of... We got some other things I want to talk about first. The first of is there's this TikTok going around. And I I haven't responded to the actual TikTok yet. But this, this is essentially my response. This person, this particular person, I'm not going to name drop, I'm not going to try to start drama I respect this person's opinion this person happens to be female and there's this idea in the wrestling community that men that there are a group of certain people who don't like females talking and and because they call out somebody so I've called out this person numerous times about her opinions and how I feel that she's biased towards the people she likes. And when those people lose, she complains. But when they win, it's the greatest show ever. And that's fine if this was a realistic sport and it wasn't a television show. Like, I just think it's weird to get upset that a television show character loses. Like, I, I watch a lot of TV shows. Like, my favorite is Chicago PD. And if something were to happen to, like, one of my favorite characters on Chicago PD, I'm not going to sit there and complain about it because it's a show. This thing was pre-written. It's scripted. It's not real life. It doesn't matter in the long term. 
it's just weird. And, and, and I will say that about anything, whether it's wrestling, any type of entertainment show, Star Wars, Marvel, any show out there. If you complain because a character dies off or a certain character, you know, you know, they don't do what it doesn't go the way you planned it to go. You're weird. You're weird. That's for all fandoms. I'll piss everybody off early in this episode. It's a show. You're not in control of it. Just sit back and watch the story. That was my main thing. Now, I don't know if she was talking about me, but often a lot of times they, you know, the saying, if the shoe fits, then wear it. And and I feel that she sort of was included. She didn't name anybody, but she sort of just said, you know, group and. And so a lot of people like this will say, well, you don't want women to speak because you, you, you called me out. You, don't, you obviously don't want women to speak. And that is not at all my case. I want every single woman to have an opinion. If you're a woman in the wrestling community, I welcome you. However, just like any man is el- eligible for me to be critiqued, so will your opinions. You're not any special because you're, you know, you're a woman in the wrestling community. And what I feel is, and this is my honest opinion, what I feel is, is a lot of people follow her and 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 join on, on accepting her opinions for one of two reasons. One, everyone wants to sort of try to make the wrestling community this place of inclusion where everyone is welcome, and that's just not real life. That's just not real life. I don't have to agree with your opinion. I don't have to agree with any, like, the idea where I have to accept your opinion, even if it's wrong, it's just asinine, right? They're trying to do that in, in typical culture as well, where you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, but the science or the, the facts say one of us is wrong, well, I'm going to follow the facts. You can have your opinion, right? But this person I've been told through comments has called other people sexist for calling out her opinion. It's typical, you know, bullshit that happens in the world. You said, I, I can't have, look, I've never said you couldn't have a voice. I want you to have a voice, but your voice is eligible to get critiqued just like anybody else. You're not special because you're a woman. Right, And so I feel people follow this particular person because she's female and you know we want, they want to try to make this place like a place of inclusion. And so we can't have drama because apparently that's toxic. Right? And the second reason, and I really think the primary reason people followed her or follow her and try to like suck up to her and, be like, and defend her, like you can't call her out. It's her opinion. Is because, let's just be honest, this, this girl is beautiful. Especially on TikTok. Like, when I got on TikTok, I had expectations for what TikTok was. Right? It was a place where, where girls in college or if, you're, if you were, like, younger and you were, you know, in high school, you had girls in high school. But I didn't come for the high school girls. I'm going to be honest with you. I came for the girls in college and, like, 30-year-old mothers. Who just got on this app and shake their ass. That's what I got on TikTok for. That was my expectation. And then what happened was, was this pandemic happened. And everybody and their mother 
got on TikTok, and now we started talking about literally everything. And so the app transformed f- from for what it was supposed to be. Right? This was really supposed to be an app where like you only got views if you shook your ass. Like that and that's still the algorithm. But this so right, so when I got on TikTok, like it was I had my expectations, right? And I like when her account popped up, the first I'm pretty sure it wasn't even a wrestling video because she talks sports as well. By this point, y'all should know who this is if you're on the TikTok wrestling community. Um, but by, like her first vi- um, video popped up, and I'm pretty sure it was like a sports video. And I could care. I, I don't know what the topic was. I really don't. It didn't bother. It didn't matter to me because she was gorgeous. She was beautiful, right? Follow, like video. How many of her 38,000 followers did the same thing? I'm sure there are people there that like her opinion, and that's fine. She has her voice. She can use her voice. Right, but Anyway, but she posted a video basically stating that she was tired of being mansplained to what a heel was and that no matter what, Roman Reigns is a bad heel, and I want to address, address this. You could call this a mansplaining if you're a soft liberal who doesn't want to be critiqued. And, and, and that's fine. That's fine. Right? That's fine. If you want to be that way and call this mansplaining, I guess it is what it is. Um, I am a man and I am explaining something. So I guess that's what we can... Uh, I guess that's what we can call it. But there, there, there's multiple different types of you. Because she came in and said, you know, Seth Rollins is a good heel. But Roman Reigns isn't. Well, they're two different types of heels. Like Seth Rollins is that annoying, you know, um, aggravating sort of cocky heel who he's sort of like you notice like when in his presentation, he's allowed to to interact with the fans and allow them to sing his music. And he, you know, he and, and he comes off and he's almost sort of like that. A Joker type character where, you know, he he's the bad guy, but you sort of feel for him, right? And and he's Seth Rollins is a good heel. I think he's better as a heel than he is as a face, but he's a different style of heel than Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns is what I like to call the cowardly heel, right? He's the guy that he goes out there, he thinks he's hot shit, but the only reason he wins. Is because he's got a posse around him. He's not the first to do this, by the way, and he won't be the last. But that doesn't make him a less of a good heel. The problem is, is that since the beginning of his career, really since the sh- the ending of the Shield when Seth turned, which by the way, when Seth turned and got be- had Jane J security and the authority, he was that cowardly heel. The same the same sort of gimmick Roman Reigns is playing now. But everyone cheered or at least liked that type of heel when Seth Rollins played it. But when Roman Reigns plays it, it's annoying and stale and bland, right? And the problem is, isn't that Roman Reigns is a heel. It isn't that his character is stale. Is I feel people don't understand what's going on. Or two, they just see Roman Reigns and they, they, and, and they continuously hate him because of the early push and sort of, I don't even want to say he was forced down our throats. I just think he was pushed too early in a gimmick that no one cared about 
in his in his face run in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, right? Right? And people so I can understand the frustration of not liking Roman Reigns. You cannot like Roman Reigns. But at least admit that this character is good. Right? Cuz everyone will say that MJF is the best heel in the business. And that's the that's the that's the popular cliche answer. And I would like to disagree. MJF is good, but but MJF gets the cheap heat. He's the cheap heat heel. He goes into the city, he critiques the city. He like he goes into Buffalo and says the Bills suck. Josh Allen sucks, right? And and the fans are gonna boo him, right? Or he he critiques individuals at meet and greets or doesn't, right? He gets the cheap heat heel. He's the cheap heat guy, and to me that's not. It's creative because you got to come up with ways to piss off the fans. But if that's that's all he is, he, he, he that's all he is. MJF is good. D- don't get me wrong. But he's not the best heel in the game. Um, I would arguably say Roman Reigns has had the best heel run of anyone in the last ten years, because they've really told a story with it. They've, and I, what I think is, is that people don't understand the story, and where. Now, I have a, a idea of where this is going. Again, if it doesn't go the way I think it will, okay, that's fine. But I think it, if we look at the story, so first we have Roman, he comes back, and he, and he feuds with Jay. And this is where Jay, the bloodline sort of really started. And you have Jay fighting Roman, and eventually he caves in. And, you know, acknowledges Roman Reigns as the head of the table. And then Jimmy comes back from injury. And Jimmy's like, I ain't no one's bitch. And then eventually, you know, he gets convinced to join the bloodline and join the family and and acknowledge Roman Reigns as the head of the table. And what this is, is, you know, guys were, right, it's, it's a, it's Roman Reigns putting together a group of people to protect him from his own insecurities in the story, right? Because Roman Reigns, and you and you saw it at Clash of the Castle, he had that moment of doubt where he couldn't put away Drew and he was sitting there and he had to pump his own self up because he didn't have the, the bloodline or Paul Heyman with him. And he had to sit there and calm himself, right? There's that moment of doubt in him, right? And ultimately that was what was going to have him lose had he not had his backup plan, which was Solo Sokoa, which I still don't believe, I really would like to know, you know, in story, who told him to go? Like, what was the motivation? That's how you tell a story. That's how you tell a story. And they, I don't know if they've mentioned it. I know they've introduced him into the bloodline on Friday. I don't know if... I'm recording this on Wednesday. I've seen the spoilers of NXT, but I'm not going to talk about it because I haven't watched NXT yet. So I know we're, what I'm going to end up doing is doing a uh, a Raw NXT show where I'll watch Raw, watch NXT, and I'll explain and, and review my thoughts on those. And then I'll do a show about SmackDown in and of itself. I might just do one show for all three of them. That's probably what I'll do. Um, yeah, that's probably what I'll end up doing probably on Saturday is, you know, giving my review of Raw 
NXT and SmackDown for the week. Um, and, 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 and we'll talk about it that way. Like, I, I, I know what happens with Solo, but we're not going to talk about it right now, right? But I really would love them to tell the story of, like, what was the motivation for Solo Sokoa? Was he trying to prove himself? Like, who gave him the call to say, hey, we need you to go? I want to know that motivation. That's how you tell a good story. And if they don't, and, and they don't have to do it, but I really just want to see that part told as to, like, who told him, right? But they're also getting this sort of Jay hating on Sammy thing going on here, and this is this is making the bloodline even better, and this is how you make the bloodline relevant while Roman isn't there, and that's where I think a lot of people hate Roman Reigns is because he doesn't show up, but he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to. That's the whole idea of his gimmick. And I've tried to explain this to people. This is the idea of the Roman Reigns gimmick, the head of the table gimmick, is that I've beaten everyone over the last two years that I felt was relevant enough to challenge for my title. I've beaten everyone. Now, the only person I think that he has left is Seth Rollins. Um, the problem is, is Rollins has Riddle crawling down his back. I don't know when we get Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. That's actually going to be an episode of how I would book that match. I want that at either Survivor Series or like day one. Um, well, actually, I'll actually do um, an episode of how I would book a Seth versus Roman match at this moment. Because I have an idea. It's not my idea, but it's an idea that I'm, I support and I'm probably going to change some things. Um with that, um, in the right, really cool, really cool idea on how to do this. Anyway, um, so I just don't think people understand the bloodline, and they're making the story of the bloodline better. And Reigns' whole gimmick is I've beat everyone that's relevant. No one's welcome on the island of relevancy. And therefore, I'm not going to show up every night because I don't have to. No one, no one is relevant enough for me to come and fight them, right? That's the whole idea of the gimmick. And we don't need Roman Reigns every night. We don't. I've liked what they've been doing while Reigns has been sort of taking a back seat. Now, I will agree, he shouldn't have both championships. Raw should have someone... Like, something to fight for. Because if all we're getting, basically all we're getting right now is mid-card on Raw. And guys like Owens and Rollins and Riddle have nothing to fight for, right? Um, And so, I would, like, right now they're sort of like going after, right, the theory. But they're really not really going after theory. Um, Tell you what, Kevin Owens, though, he continues to give great promos. I tell you what, I saw the promo. Again, I haven't watched all of Raw, um, but um, yeah, we'll continue. We'll move on to the next. I just wanted to like sort of address that. I've spent way too much time on it. Um, this Look, you can have your opinion, male, female, whatever the hell you want to identify as. You can have your opinion. You're welcome in the wrestling community. But everyone 
has equal opportunity of being critiqued. That's the that's the point of having an opinion. And 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 so if you don't want to defend your opinion, don't post your opinion because I'm going to critique your opinion. It's not mansplaining, it's not sexism. It's you post it your opinion. I want you to defend it. Right? I'm a very argumentative person. And so when you when you say something that I don't agree with, I want you to sort of explain that or at least try to convince me why your opinion is better than mine. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about before we get to the main topic is today is Wednesday, the 14th of September. And PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, is releasing their top 500 male superstars. I think this is male. Their top 500 male superstars. They normally do like a top 100 women as well. Um, but that's releasing today. Um, and they posted something basically giving their ranking criteria. Now, PWI has been super biased in the past. So I want to break this down. So they have four four topics. Excuse that. Excuse me. Four topics that they rank on. In-ring achievement. This includes win-loss records, championships, and tournaments won. We'll talk about each of these individually. So, my first thing is, in scripted wrestling, why the hell does win-loss record matter? It doesn't. Championships. They're props. Why do they matter? Tournaments. They're props to push story. Or that they should be props to push storyline. Why do they matter? Like, this whole criteria... This was added to inflate independent New Japan and AEW wrestlers because no one no one cares about these things in WWE. And so this single category is going to inflate guys like Okada, who is great. Okada is wonderful. But he just won G1 again, so he's going to get inflated because he won G1 where guys that maybe are mid-card on WWE who right, don't have tournaments won. You see what I'm saying? Like This whole category. And, and then my other question is, are you gonna, you're going to use dark like for AEW superstars? You're going to use like dark and elevation and stuff like that? Because let's just be honest, those two shows on YouTube... Average two to three hundred thousand people, and no one watches, and they're mostly squash matches to inflate win loss records, right? And then they can show up on AEW Dynamite once a month with a 20 and, and two record, and no one knows who they are because all they fight on is dark or elevation. You see what I'm saying? So, like, why do we care about these three things, tournaments, championships, and win-loss record, when it's scripted wrestling and, and both all three of those things, you know, wins, losses, championships, tournaments, those are props to push storyline, right? Or at least that's what they should be. Um, second thing is influence. Visibility and prestige within a promotion and or the industry. Well, let's talk about it. If Roman Reigns isn't the highest rated in influence, the list is wrong. Because he has the highest visibility 
in the highest prestige within the industry. If I'll say this. This is my opinion. If Roman Reigns is not, I'll say top five, the list is wrong, but I really want to say if Roman Reigns is not number one on this list, then the list is wrong. I really want to say that. Right? Technical ability, quality of matches, or excuse me, quality of moves, matches, and in-ring psychology. This is where you 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 get the Dave Meltzer scale of of uh, how much money you could pay me to give you five star matches, and I'll let you name your your finisher move after me. <clears throat> Looking at you, young bucks. Um. Again, this is fine. You, I can understand why you want to rate and. You know the in ring ability, and like if you're putting on bad matches, you shouldn't be on TV. But at the end of the day, there right there's very good wrestlers who who aren't very good in ring competitors. Like Mandy Rose is going to get knocked down for this, but I think she's one of the top women in the industry. Right, and then the last one is competition, success against the most varied and highest quality opponents. Available, Again, this one sort of knocks down the WWE guy. Basically, it's like, how, how many different opponents did you go against that are like high-quality opponents, right? So they're not going to rank people who just do squash matches super high. But it also, I think, that hurts the WWE superstars, in my opinion, because a lot of the matches we've had so far this year have been rematch, 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 rematch with the same guys, and they said varied, right? That's, that's again, solely to inflate the AEW competitors who go out and they wrestle everyone on the roster once a year, and there's no storyline to it, right? This this list is going, two, at least two of the categories, inflate independent AEW New Japan um, superstars, right? I've never trusted this list. Um, when I do see the top 500 list, we'll actually go over um, the top 500. We may, we're not going to go over all 500 because a lot of the guys I won't even know. But we'll definitely go over definitely the top 10, more than likely the top 50. I'll, I'll go over it. I re- that's really where I care for. Like I'll read all 500 to see if I could find some of my local guys or some of my favorite indie guys. I don't really watch a lot of indie wrestling, but I do like to see where they rank people. Um, but this list is biased as all hell, and I just wanted to point that out. That's literally the main reason to me even bringing it up. Let's get to the main event. Finishers. Top five current. Top five all time. So let's talk about what a good finisher is first. A good finisher to me is a realistic ending of a match. So I'm already going to tell you, Hulk Hogan's leg drop is not on the list, on any of these lists, right? Because let's just be honest, that move is not a finisher. Like somehow when Hulk Hogan did it, it, you know, made it, you know, more powerful. But everyone everyone can do a leg drop. It's not a finisher. It's not realistic to actually end the match. Um, so I look for somewhat of um, realism in the finisher. Um, 
how protected it was, and not really protected, that's the technical term, they protect the finisher, but how effective in the ring. Like, there are certain people where you know if you get their finishing move, you're done, right? The match is over. It's used once a match, and, and, and that's rare in this in the current world where you have to only use the finisher once because we have a lot of this. We need 18 finishers, um, and so I'll be honest with you. I'm very biased against the F5 because Brock Lesnar does – or Brock Lesnar's German because Brock Lesnar has to do like 18 of them to put him away. To me – I understand why they do it with Brock because his whole idea is of suplex city or he's just coming out to dominate and he just wants to make sure you're finished. But to me, it's not presented. Like if I have to take 18 German suplexes to be to be put away, then the move must not be very effective. That's how I think, right? So I'll be honest, the F5 isn't even on the list. The AA is not even on the list um, of any of these. But, but that's basically what I look for. Realism... And, like, does this put you away? And how protected and effective was the move? And then I look for, can you use this move in multiple creative ways? And I'll explain that with someone else. So we'll go with current... We'll go with the current wrestlers first. So number five, there's actually a tie um, between the Claymore kick and the Bro kick. Um, I couldn't decide which which kick I like better. Um, but these things are effective. These things are, for the most part, Sheamus hasn't been very used very well and protected very well. Um, but this move should be like a killer to a lot of people. If you took a, a, a windmill kick to the face in real life, like you're out, you're out cold. If you took a windmill kick to the face, like sh- and drew same thing. If you took that running kick, the Claymore, you're out, right? So it's realistic. Um, for the most part, they've been effective. I think there's a couple better than them um, because the you can sort of use these, but a lot of times you have to sort of like, you can't just sort of pull this out of nowhere um, because like with the windmill kick, you have to do the windmill. And so people are going to see it coming in like in real life. But anyway, number four is the end of days from Baron Corbin. This was one of the most protected moves. Now, the thing that pissed me off is it finally got kicked out of, right? So for the longest time, from Baron Corbin's start in NXT in like 2014 to I think this year, I don't even remember who kicked out of it. Or what event. And that's what I'm trying to talk about. I mean, this was like eight years straight that no one has ever kicked out of the end of days. If Baron Corbin hit you with the end of days, it was used once and you were done. The match was over. And so what pissed me off about them, like, I'm fine with someone kicking out of it. But I don't remember who it was. I don't remember the event. I think it, I want to say it was, I want to say it was, McAfee, but I think it was actually done at WrestleMania, and I don't know who he, I can't remember who he fought at WrestleMania this year, uh, we'll look that up real quick, now that I'm thinking of it, I think it was WrestleMania that it got kicked out of, um, 
Uh, who did he fight? Can I just get a card? I'm sorry. Wasn't planning for this. Um, there it is. So it was McIntyre. Okay, cool. So he did fight McIntyre. I was thinking McIntyre. Um, so yeah, so it was against McIntyre. And I guess McIntyre's getting somewhat of a bigger push. But... I just... I, the fact that I couldn't remember it off the top of my head, right? Oh, it was Drew McIntyre who kicked out of the end of days for the first time. Like, that should have rocketed Drew McIntyre because of how protected that move was, right? You, there, there's a sort of esteem of this move that everyone that took it for eight straight years lost the first time it was given and Drew McIntyre kicked out of it and then ended up winning the match, right? That, that should have pushed him to the moon and back, right? He sh should have been on fire and at least given Intercontinental Championship. I know you didn't want to have him take the belt off Roman, right? But there was just nothing really made of the kick out of the end of days. But this thing, effective, um, very, very interesting move. And you could really use it, you know, at any point. As long as the person's coming off the ropes at any point in the match, if you come off the ropes and come running towards Corbin, you know, he's going to, he could be able to catch you and hit you with the end of days literally at any point, right? That was, um, all right. So, number three, the RKO. And you're going to be like, well, what's better? Like, this is, Randy Orton's my favorite wrestler of all time. And we're, we'll actually go down that list of, like, my top five of all time. Randy Orton in the RKO. This move is the most, I think, effective move. Like, how many times, like, it's like a joke now. Where, like, every time Randy tries to do this at, like, a big event like WrestleMania, he's always thinking of new and creative ways to reverse a move into an RKO. And, of course, you, you got the Evan Bourne one, and you got the Rollins one at WrestleMania 31, which is my favorite. Um, and I'm not a big fan of Riddle using it, because I don't think Riddle... I mean, he does it well. I'm just not a big fan of it, of Riddle using it. But, like, Randy Orton just, it's its the perfect finisher for his gimmick. Because it's that quick strike. He literally could do this out at any moment. right? It's such a quick strike move. And as him as the Viper, they strike quickly, right? Right, very, very good. Very, very good move. Very, very believable finisher. Um, if someone RKO'd you for real, I think you, you, you'd be done, right? I think you'd be done. I really do. Now, number two is a commonly used finisher from a lot of superstars. It's the spear. If it's done right, it's an effective finisher. 
My top, my favorite three right now is Bobby Lashley, Roman Reigns, and I think my favorite is Braun Breakers because that motherfucker hits you hard. Like, it's solid. And I talked about Braun Breaker last episode. I think he's the future of this business. Um, But the spear, right, if I'm in a fight with someone and they came out and speared me, I'm done. I'm done. Right? There's only one other move that I think would perm- like could permanently put you away. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the spear is I mean, I know Edge does it. Charlotte has a version. Like it seems like everyone has a version of the spear. Goldberg has a version, right? But Reigns, Breaker and Lashley I think are the best 3 in my opinion. All right, let's go ahead and number one current finisher, in my opinion, that's the beauty of wrestling, right, is you can have your opinion, I can have mine, we can come to different conclusions, and we can still be friends, right? But I'm going to question your opinion, doesn't understand that, and I want you to question my opinion. You don't agree with the end of days being on this list? Question it. Ask me why, right? Let me defend it. But number one is The Stomp by Seth Rollins. The most Deadly. Like, if you got actual curb stomped, you're out. And you have severe damage to your brain. Potentially a cracked cranium. Right? This is... Like, they had to ban this move. Because USA didn't like it being used. And then they got it unbanned. Some other things, right? But this move right here. It's realistic. I haven't seen anyone kick out of a sp- of a stop yet that I can remember, and I just it's perfect. It's per you can use it anywhere. Like like you saw with the match at Clash of the Castle that Rollins did the spear off the second rope as Riddle was getting into the ring. Right? Is that right? You could basically use a stomp at any time when someone is down on their knees trying to recatch their breath, you could come and stomp them. Right? Let's get to the all-time list. All right. So, number five, I felt like... So, this... It was really hard to do an all-time top five finishers because there's a lot of very good finishers that aren't on... That, that I would like to talk about, but that aren't on this list. But we'll just go through this list. So, number five all-time for me is The Stunner by Stone Cold. I don't think it's the most realistic move. I don't, th- in terms of, I don't think this really puts you out. You're going to be stunned. That's the whole idea is the stunner. But I don't think this finishes a person, right? There's going to have to be a lot of damage put on this person for them to be out. Whereas with like the stomp, it could be the beginning of the match, right? In a real fight. And, you know, let's just say in a real fight, I get hit in the gut and I'm trying to catch my breath. And then the guy comes and stomps me, second move of the match, I'm out, match over, right? Whereas with the stunner, you you can hit me with the stunner, and I'll probably get back up. You'll have to hit me several times with it to put me away, I think. But it's an effective move. They made it look super, super over, you know, if Austin hits you with the stunner, it's, it's over, right? Um, now, number four, this is unique because it's the RKO. I think Randy's been in the business long enough that he can be in the current and the all-time category. 
And the RKO is, I've already talked about it, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I think it's a top five finisher of all time. I really do. Let's go into the top three. Number three is the sharpshooter. I don't remember what Sting called it. I think it was the Scorpion Deathlock. Um, I could be wrong. I don't remember. Um, it's the same move. Um, but this move, I don't know if you have you. When you were growing up, you know, it always said, do not try this at home. But we always tried it at home. And I remember, like, the sharpshooter being the move that, like, I always be, hated being put in as a kid. It was always the move I always got put in. And, and like, it legit hurt. It legit hurt. I could understand why you would tap out of this move. It's realistic. Um, it, um, if done properly, could cause damage to the knees and the legs. Like, it's a realistic move. I can understand how it'll put you away and get you to tap and lose the match. Um, it, it's not really creative. Like, you can't just pull it out of anywhere because there's specific ways. Like, you have to basically... Right? So, submission finishers are always hard to judge, in my opinion, because you have to get them in the position to be in the submission. You can't just sort of pull it out of anywhere. Like, an arm bar, you could... Um, or like Brock, when he does the Kimura could probably pull that out of anywhere or like Roman in the guillotine could sort of trap you, but none of them are better than the sharpshooter, right? The sharpshooter was legit. When you got put in the sharpshooter by Bret Hart, match was over. Match was over. Now Natalia needs to stop using it, but anyway, number two, same reasoning as the sharpshooter, the figure four leg lock. It's iconic. It hurts in real life. If you've ever been put in it, it, um, like it's a legit, like you you can do real damage with it. Um, it uh, it's effective. You got put in the figure four, and with Charlotte the figure eight, the match is almost more than likely over, right? Um, more than likely going to be over if you get put in the figure four. Um, and then number one and number one finisher of all time to me. <sighs> I've got to give credit. People are probably going to be say I'm wrong here. Is the pedigree from Triple H? This move was it's my favorite move of all time in wrestling. Um, my second favorite wrestler of all time is Triple H, and he's really close to Randy Orton as like t top, top, top guy. Um, this move, I don't know about you, but like. Triple H was the guy I wanted to be growing up and watching wrestling. He just seemed like a badass to me. I wanted to, like, everyone wanted to be like John Cena or, you know, people want, idolize CM Punk or, you know, trying to think of other people, you know, Shawn Michaels or Stone Cold or The Rock. I wanted to be... Triple H. I wanted to have the long hair. I wanted to have Stephanie McMahon on my side. Right? And I wanted to be that guy. Triple H was that like, the guy that I looked up to. Right? And then Randy Orton came along. And that's what Evolution... Like If we did top factions in all of wrestling, Evolution's number one to me. Because it included my top two guys in the industry. Right? So... I'm just telling you, like, 
the pedigree to me was like the ultimate move, right? If you hit the pedigree, match was over. And it used to irritate me because when we would wrestle as kids, me and my brothers, I would hit, I would hit the pedigree and they would kick out. And I said, no, you're supposed to be done, the pedi- right? That's why it's called a finisher. I had to explain to my little brother about play fighting at home that this isn't real. Like, you're not supposed to kick out. Like, you're supposed to, if I hit you with a finisher, you're, you're done. Um, but that is what it is for a different day. <laughs> uh, lots of memories using the pedigree as a kid. And, and it's just a move that I just remember Triple H putting everyone away with. I'm sure people have kicked out of it. But it's just like, it's, to me, it's just, maybe it's the memories hooked to it, but Triple H was that guy, right? Um, so there's there's my list. It, uh, it could be different than your list. Probably is. That's the beautiful nature of wrestling. You have your opinion, I have mine. All opinions are welcome, right? So let me know what you guys think um, about my list, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at We2Deep413. That's W E D E E P. Excuse me. W E T O O D E E P413. We2Deep413. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of. The Slapping Meat Wrestling Podcast, and I will see you on the next episode.